Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. So here at The Gathering, one of the things that we've been doing regularly in this season of building and working and transitioning is making space for all those questions. So the past three weeks, we have been studying Lydia and Timothy um, the life groups and ministry teams uh, take a survey every year where they tell us what they want to hear about. And one of the things they put in last year's survey, for those of you who have heard from your life groups that there's a new survey, one of the things they put in last year's survey is character studies. That They were interested in knowing more about the people that were in the Bible. And so we started um, with John, I think, and then we did, I can't remember, and I can't remember, and then now we're here at Timothy and Lydia. (laughs) Does anybody remember what we did? I know we did John, but we did someone else. Ruth. 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 Oh, how could we forget Ruth? Ruth is good. Big Ruth energy. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of good Ruths. Baby Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, just good Ruth. Gosh, both are good. Both, right? And so Ruth and then John, and now we've uh, done Timothy and Lydia, um, and I won't reveal our character study for Advent. I'll save that for next Sunday. I'm super proud of it, but I'm also a dork, so you all will laugh next week because you see how excited I am. You'll smile. Um, But this week, for our question and answer, um, Marcel, one of our um, amazing preachers in this series, couldn't be with us. Pray for them. They're moving into their new home. We're super excited for them. And so um, Josh is now in the hot seat with us. Yes, I am. (laughs) And so we spent two Sundays on Timothy. We did a very creative service last week and did, uh, you got three sermons on Lydia and you didn't even realize it. And we still got out in time for you to eat lunch. (laughs) Just saying. A black preacher that can preach three preach three sermons and still get you out for 12.45 lunch is, I'm just, I think I'm a unicorn. (laughs) So here we are this Sunday for our questions, our answers. A lot of you came up to me last week and said, you've Googled Timothy, you've Googled Lydia, you're ready for us, I've heard. Oh boy. Are you ready, Josh? I, yes, (laughs) as ready as I can be. Was that a stuttering of excitement? Yes. There was okay, excitement. And so, you have questions on Timothy and Lydia. There's a mic in the middle. By the pole. By the pole. Hello. Ah, oh, okay. I would like for... finally prepared the mic for me, and it's... Hello. Josh, tell us about how you prepared for this, and then tell us something that you learned about Timothy, perhaps. See, that's not even fair, because we were on the worship team together, and you... Yeah, awesome. Love that. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Allison. Maybe one day I can turn the hot seat on to you. Um, Yeah, so when I found out 
on Thursday that I would be on uh, in the hot seat. Um, just the way I typically will attack any kind of a sermon is I read a lot. Um, anything that I can find my hands on. There is one particular commentary that my father gave me when I went to seminary, um, a, a set of commentaries. It's the ancient uh, historical Christian commentary. And so it's the early church fathers um, who, not surprisingly, disagree on everything. Every, so that set the stage for modern Christianity. Um, and so I really went through that uh, verse by verse and over the course of several hours and then I uh, just stepped away from it and then just kind of revisited um, what did, um, what did that, what's, what stuck out to me, right? So after, after all of that, so read, 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 step away, watch TV, go to sleep, those things next day, next morning, this morning, um, what was speaking to me. So um, one interesting thing that I saw in uh, the story, the broader story of Timothy, not just first Timothy and second Timothy, which is mostly what I was looking at. Um, but I found that Paul refers to Timothy as his true child in the faith. And I found that interesting um, because like the, ch- like the likeness of a child bears of their parent or parents, Paul is making the case here that Timothy too bears a likeness to Paul, but specifically in respect to his faith. And so that's easy to miss, but he doesn't do it just in first Timothy one. He also does it in second Timothy one. And so there's just that, um, assurance and kind of that, um, we don't know what Timothy was feeling, right? We do know that he was probably young in comparison to maybe some of his colleagues. Um, So I step into that space for a moment and try to feel what Timothy felt um, of maybe being the younger person uh, amongst his colleagues, maybe not feeling worthy. And here is his his mentor, who we understand as Paul, and it might be someone else, um, saying, hey, you are like me. You have this image of me in the faith. You are my child in the faith. So I found that interesting. So I want, I just want to point out, like, that's one of the things about studying, particularly studying people, um, whether we're reading about them or we're in actual live relationship with them, like, it's, they can't, you don't, like, get that depth of connection from, like, a water hose experience. Like, you spend some time with them, and then you go away, and you do some other things, and you come back together, and you tell them about the things that you all did when you were apart, right? And you eat, and you sleep, and you, right? And that is how, not only, that's how relationships, right, are built. That's how knowledge is integrated, right? That's how it then eventually becomes wisdom is in these doses over time, which is why community is important, which for me is one of the things that is so important about Timothy and then Lydia is we get this understanding of community separate from the rock starness that is Paul, that is Jesus, right? So all the people that were there at the moment, as Hamilton says, in the room when it happened, these are not them. And so it's like, these are not the cool kids. These were not the ones that were there. But these are the ones that believe. And the belief connects them. And then Timothy, as a, as a 
descendant of that belief that is then connected with someone that believes then is able to form a commitment that leads him to connecting not one church, not two churches, not a handful of churches, but churches throughout this region in a way that is organized enough to where he eventually becomes what we now will tag as a bishop, but who knows what they actually called it, right? And so this idea that you could connect around a particular belief enough that over time, the belief does not get splintered, but it brings people together and then flourishes into a network that's connected, right? This idea that we could believe something and we would like it and we would put it in our pocket and then we would run off, right? And this, this idea that in, in like our modern culture we would call like a Johnny Appleseed type of thing. It's like, oh, there's an apple, seed, apple tree there and an apple tree there. But we're talking about people who believed in something that they were not necessarily there to witness in a way that created an orderly, relational, communal network that we still sing about today. That we still bang on the church doors of during a, you know, personal pan pizza and say, let me in. Like, we literally, like, you, like, that's deep, yo. For somebody who was insecure, that's my hero. Like, Paul and his old, I can deal with the thorns in my side throughout <laughs> my life. I don't know. Sometimes I'll be like, God, take this thorn. Like, but Timothy, who's like, I don't know if I'm worth, like, and yet still can build relationships that we now call this church stuff? Oh, God. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I can't. And that's not even Lydia. We, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we won't go there yet. I'll keep them separate until they'll tell me. <laughs> well, and I, I think it's interesting when you, um, that was something that stuck out as well, this sense of community um, within Timothy's ministry, within Lydia's, um, just that broader sense of community specifically in first Timothy three fifteen, when Paul, um, or the mentor, um, is using the image of the household of God and specifically expounding upon, um, just that, that unified church. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it symbolized, um, and even expels the myth that the church of Jesus Christ, Christianity, um, is not a multitude of churches, right? But rather that it is the one church. Um, and specifically when you take in the historical implications of what Timothy, um, as the first bishop was probably dealing with on top of this, um, <laughs> just very succinctly, you know, even if the church was physically and geographically separated, um, here's that image of one unified church, um, and that it should elicit a call on each and every one of our lives as Christ followers to this day too. Right. Yeah. So, um, and I think, and this could be its own sermon. So I will just succinctly say, and we can move drop, on drop and drop the mic, um, that so often our churches to this day, both individual and the capital C church are divided, whether it be political ideology or theological difference. Yet we see here in first in the letters to Timothy, um, as well as in many other places throughout the course of Timothy's ministry, um, and his father in the faith, Paul, um, that we should be a united household of God, a community rather than a divided body. And, and I, that to me, and y'all don't have to jump on that mic if y'all want to, because me and Josh can do this for like hours. 
is extremely important. And not just to like bring in this idea of like, you know, we need to by all available means possible unify no matter what, right? right. That that there is there is a way to do that, not only during the process of dispute, but even if you never resolve the dispute. Like we still don't know. We call these the Pauline letters, mm -hmm. right? These where we learn about Timothy. We still don't know if Paul wrote them. The issue, the, the thing, the issue is not whether or not Paul wrote them. For us, as the little C church and the big C church, the thing is, there is a thumbprint within relational faith Christian community in which, even if Paul didn't write this, Paul had his hand on it. Right, and in the same, and the bigger story of like, even if God didn't do this thing, like God didn't make this personal pan pizza, God didn't bring me this baby after all this trial, God still has God's hand on it, right? And so this mirroring of what church, what Christian community, church, and then what the kingdom, what the relational idea that God has for us. I mean, so in Second Timothy one and three, the thing that like. You can see, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did. So bringing us back into community with a clear conscience as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, right? And so it's never, it's, it's this thing about how we remain connected. Paul, or the Paul-trained leader that was right. mentoring Timothy, didn't even say, I, like, I'm praying good things about you. As leaders, and we've all led something in here, <laughs> including your children. Sometimes our prayers are not, and God bless thee between me and you, right? Sometimes our <laughs> prayers are like, do not smite us, <laughs> right? We know these prayers are not always mushy-gushy. Right. The leader here, Paul, Paul-trained, right, type of leader that's writing to Timothy and encouraging him, is not telling us what they were praying, but that their relationship leads them to pray in a way that then show, lets them know that God is present and that God is with them and they will get through it. I heard a mic. Oh, we got Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, this, yeah, no, this is going to be deep. <laughs> <Right>. Who, me? <laughs> no, you guys are on a roll, so I was, I was hesitant to interrupt, but this, this is kind of goes with the flow of what you're talking about. I, I have to bring up Lydia, you know, and until, until you know, I, I think I may have heard the name, you know, theologically, but it, you know, my biggest reference was the daughter in Beetlejuice. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's any relationship, but, um, but anyway, so here's my question. So like, like, like probably many of us, you know, I, I, I Googled Lydia after uh, the message, and, you know, there's like two sentences about her. And they're powerful sentences. I mean, you can see a lot in those sentences, but the, the amount of uh, narrative and interpretation that grew out of those two sentences, you know, in theology were pretty amazing. You know, the, you know, I don't know how much of it was speculation about her background. She was a successful woman, Paul's first, you know, documented convert in Europe and, and all that. So it's, it's part of this whole flow you're talking about. But just what... what what are the sources for all this intelligence about Lydia, or did it all just grow out of reading between those two lines? <laughs> now, the sources. Oh, this is my favorite part. So the sources are actually, most of the sources are actually what we would call today minutes. 
groups were not just done, you know, at the grocery store and in the synagogue. They convened whole year-long weekly meeting, like, conferences. And so from these conferences and these meetings where these disputes were happening, we have things like the Nicene Creed. We have our creed, the Apostles' Creed, right? Because essentially what would happen is they would have these meetings for months and months and months, and they'd be like, okay, this is the only three things we can agree on. (laughs) Across the whole of this continent, there's like 83 countries represented, and these are the three things we can agree on. Like, this is it. We all believe in God and these other two things, and that's it. And so a lot of the a lot of the resources used to theology and, and theology, you know, basic definition is faith seeking understanding, right? So we know and experience this huge global Christian church that we are a part of, that we participate in. And as we seek to understand how that might have happened, the same way we seek to understand, my brother was here this weekend seeking to understand our AC system, um, and we went to the minutes and to the emails and to the Google Drives and the files to try to find these documents, and we're putting it together, and then he climbs on the roof, and he's like, okay, this is my right? And so these minutes from these meetings, right, that were happening throughout these times, think about it, like, wars were happening. Wars about faith and wars about the stories we were going to tell were happening. The resolution of those wars didn't, don't stop because all the people died. Because, like, if that was how war stopped, like, we wouldn't be here, right? They happened because there were these meetings that then would happen and these treaties and these agreements would be made about, right? And so from the minutes of these meetings, drop mic. <laughs> we'll check on that one. Um, from the minutes of these meetings, we can pull together... Um, churches that were made along the river where we know Lydia met, where she did business. Um, And so much of the history comes from sort of the submission of local community gatherings to their person. So this Pauline representative that probably, right, that was receiving these letters that knew, I heard this was going on, this is how I want to encourage you. Right, so then these letters were then read into the minutes of the meeting, these are disputes that are going on, right? So a lot of the disputes that we hear Paul talking about and trying to encourage them through, right? And so that's off, That's how we know and can extrapolate much of what we know about Lydia. You got more? The mic dropped, so yeah, I was trying to wrap it up. Was, that was it. <laughs> that, was, that was the word. Let me make sure I understand. Okay, when you're talking about minutes, are you talking about the councils of the church? So, the, yes, from the from uh, the meeting notes and the the, the from the councils, from right? The cons- from okay. The councils of the okay, so you're not talking about like the apostolic fathers or the early church fathers as to what they thought about this particular writing, right? Well, some of some of those are in there because we know at those we know at those councils that those things were in the room even if those people weren't necessarily in the room. So some of those ideas, but the minutes that I'm talking about are actually from the councils. Councils, yeah, which I don't remember exactly when the first council was, but it's 3rd century or 4th century? I think 1242? That was a long time ago. Yeah, I think the first set of meetings was like 12... 1242. I, I, I'm sure it's in my notes. I, 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 my memory yeah. escapes me. Anyway, okay, I understand yes. what you're talking about when you say ministry. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and we 
and what Sunny's talking about, the consuls, so they were for, they were formal meetings in history. So if you if you take a Christian history class and you learn about the consul the consuls that happen at various intervals, um, oftentimes what would happen is there would be a war or there would be a treaty, they would be fighting over certain territory. There this idea of separation of church and state, that wasn't really how things went, right? And so um, the church and the crown at that time, because they were uh, monarchies or things like that, um, would meet. And oftentimes the crown, the, the, they would encourage kings, queens to marry within their set of ideologies, economically, faith-wise, which is why it would be such an issue if a Roman Catholic and then an Episcopalian in our modern language would come together. That's not the language that was back then, right? Because then you would have to have a whole consul, and they would have to sort out which beliefs were going to remain. So the war might end, and then you might have three years of a council to decide how then were the faith traditions and the beliefs in when do we pray, where do we pray, um, what happens on certain holidays, what are the holidays, um, when would there be offerings made, whether those were offerings of gold or whatever else they were deciding to offer. All of those things had to be worked out because those were aspects of taxes and tariffs and commerce. Um, and so that's those, those are the things that would happen in the councils. And, and I would say too, Hank, if I may, um, you know, all, all of this can gets very convoluted, and uh, since the beginning of time, we've um, we as theologians uh, just sit around and argue and you know discuss difference of opinion. I th- I think what your question raises, though, is the is a very important question that we may never know the answer to, and it is simply why, as Lydia mentioned, those two times and almost as bookends, right in Acts sixteen. And so why is she towards the beginning of this chapter and at the end of this chapter, and we don't know much more about her? She's important enough to be mentioned, and that is what we need to sit with. So, And I think the other thing, the, oh, the very uncomfortable thing to sit with is where are there times where Lydia is actually mentioned and we don't realize that it's Lydia? And what was the reason for not mentioning her name in those spaces, right? Because there were... There were decisions made of times to mention who the women were that were contributing to the church. It is well documented that it's not just Lydia, but there were a number of patrons that were women, um, wealthy women. And so there were decisions made not to mention their names. And so there is actually um, a set of developing documents. Um, I encountered them in one of my classes um, last spring where someone sort of like source tracing, like based on geographical maps. Okay, so is this mention of this woman supporting the church, is this Lydia, is this this person, is this, and like how then the questions can be explored, why might you have not mentioned that person's name? And we all know that, like we might be in a meeting and sometimes we intentionally don't mention someone's name because we know it will derail the whole conversation. Other times we forget. And we just didn't mention their name. And so when did that happen and it was intentional? When did it happen and it was like charge it to my head and not my heart sort of thing as we say in church, right? Um, But 
those two times where it is mentioned are so important that we have spent a lot of time there. And it's only been within the past uh, maybe five to six years that people have tried to sort of relationship map um, are, how many women are we actually talking about? Are we talking about a dozen women that bankrolled the whole thing, or are we talking about more? It's a perfect segue to my question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing I have always appreciated about Jesus is how he valued women um, just as much as men. And, um, you know, we're looking at Timothy as a male and Lydia as a female, and I think we can learn things from both of them. Um, so I'm just wondering what, what can we learn in a practical way that will influence us in our life today from either or both of them? I'll, I'll jump there since you lead the prayer team. Um, <laughs> the, and you'll understand where I'm going with the segue. Uh, with Timothy, um, in 1 Timothy 2, 8a, when, and I'm going to change man to people, but when the, the writer says in every place the people should pray, um, this is a very powerful statement specifically given the history, like historical, um, just the history in which this is written, right? So because it's separating Judaism from Christianity, and when we look at the letters to Timothy from his mentor and father in the faith and knowing and seeing specifically in first Timothy and second Timothy, that heresy and even the very thought of questioning Christianity's validity was at the forefront of everyday ministry, everyday life for a Christ follower, right? Therefore, what this seemingly small and easy to overlook statement yet powerful statement does is it removes the veil of prayer that was with Judaism and that Judaism had placed that is to pray only in the synagogues but then the veil is torn right and so removed and even stripped bringing that full individual access to God by Christ through the Holy Spirit in prayer which is what sets Christianity apart and it wasn't just in the synagogue it's not just in worship but this statement is saying but in every place at all times not through the intercession of a priest in a given time at a given place but now through the intercession of the Holy Spirit because of Christ's death on the cross you now have access to prayer and I think we often overlook that and that's what Timothy's ministry inspires for me. Mm -hmm. and, and coupled with that, the reason why when we were thinking about how to lay out these character studies, Timothy and Lydia then come together is because coupled with that, we have to understand that Jesus, would, like in, in inviting us and, and requiring us, demanding of us to be relational and gracious and loving, Jesus was not telling us to bulldoze our way into places that would then disrupt love disrupt grace, right? And so then how do we accomplish this mission, right? And so in Philippians 2, um, we sang about this today as well. Um, it says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. And so if we have this charge to move the faith forward, right, to introduce Jesus to as many people as we can, to go into many places that have now been separated and have different customs and different norms, then, right, I want us to understand that that is not easy. It's actually antithetical, right? Diversity disrupts. Inclusion interrupts. Like if you walk into a place that has not included you, right, whether it's a women's bathroom or right, a kitchen, right? The first time you walk as an as a adult woman into your in-law's kitchen, honey, that's a moment. And though you may have been invited, you still have to walk in, Philippians, right? Christ's example of humility. And so what we find in Lydia is this idea of in the marketplace at the riverbed, people who can show up in rooms and people who can't. There were literally places that if Paul went into, I mean, Paul was not afraid of getting arrested. I mean, right? But like there were places that he just couldn't, it was inappropriate. The idea that the whole mission of Christ could have been derailed if they were like, I'm going to go talk to these women. What if someone had said something inappropriate happened? that they were touched inappropriately, that they, right? And so this idea that we later sort of make into all of these rules, right? This idea of how do we humbly walk into a place? How do we humbly take this invitation to spread Christ's message? Maybe we don't walk in. Maybe I find a public place like a marketplace where Timothy and Lydia can meet and they can have a conversation and her heart can be opened and she can believe, and then Lydia can go into places that Timothy could never go. And then all of a sudden, there's this network and community that is built with that disrupts and interrupts, but is also diverse and inclusive and has not violated the sensibilities that would keep people's hearts open. And I think that's the beauty of Lydia, even though we only hear her name twice. So one thing you said um, just reminded me of a question I had even when you were doing the sermon about Lydia. So typically Paul and Jesus, like when they would go to a new town, they would go to the synagogue, and that's where they would preach, and that's where they would connect to people. So why were the women meeting at the river? And, like, why was there a synagogue in the town, and the women weren't part of the synagogue? Or was (laughs) – did I stump her again? No, but you know what I mean? Like, like – and it was a group of women, and they were at the river. So that seems significant, and that Paul would go to them and not to the synagogue if there was one. So there were rules about when you could be in the synagogue. And who could and lead who, in the synagogue. And who could lead in the synagogue. And then even who, get, who got to ask the questions about and decide what the community was curious about within the synagogue. Uh, That's a very simple simple way of putting it. There was no synagogue in Philippi, one. Um, So there was that part. So there weren't men Jewish men. There, there, so this is where, y'all got me foreshadowing and giving away secrets from Advent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So this is, so. Jewish, there were not 10 Jewish men who believed in the same thing to create the type of, 
right? So there are sects, S-E-C-T-S, right? There are lines of belief within Judaism, right? And often synagogues, though there were places of questioning, were congregated around a similar set of foundational beliefs. So there might have been 10 Jewish men in the community. And knowing what we know about Philippi at that time, there might have been 10 Jewish men that couldn't agree with each other in the community. Um, And so, but what we do know, those are all extrapolations. What we do know is there was not a synagogue, um, one. So that takes care of that part for the men. And then second of all, what we know is that there were rules about regarding women when they could be in the synagogue, right? Um, And so had there been a synagogue, it's very possible that there might have been some women in the synagogue and still some women down at the river. Um, And then who among those women? So not only when. So even if I was a woman that was allowed in the synagogue, there might be times where I could not be in that place, right? Um, And so thereby there would still be women down at the down at the river. You got more? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's a very. I mean, we could talk all day. I about mean, we, it. we we could really talk for a long time. Um, I'm looking at the time, so I'm like, ooh, yeah. we can't go there. Yeah, we got we got time. Lee's got Lee's. Ooh, Lee's gonna drop the mic. Lee's gonna wrap us up. Lee's our last question. So. I don't know if this was brought up or whatever, but I was kind of curious what your thought was uh, about the difference in the relationship between John Mark and Timothy and Paul. Because John Mark kind of got the sad end of the deal. He also dealt with fear, lack of courage, whatever. And then Timothy gets called a son, and John Mark just gets called a, you know, a, a trusty servant towards the end. So in all the minutes and all the stuff, what was the difference between the two? We would call it. We would lovingly call it stump the pastor, um, and not quite stumping, but right. this. This. Yeah. I got with Christy's question. I got to like say neat qu- phrases that people could pick up on, and on this one, we got we got to go there. So rock paper scissors, like who go? Yeah, ladies first. <laughs> foreshadowing uh, Advent stuff. Um, So this is where, um, this is where you can't escape politics in church life, even biblically, right? So um, understanding the lineage of John Mark, um, understanding the places that John Mark had to go into, um, John, John Mark didn't get the luxury of having his insecurities nurtured. Like, John Mark had to sit in the mirror and, like, you know, Eminem style, like, freestyle, wrap it up, like... Mom's spaghetti. Yeah, yeah, mom's spaghetti. doesn't matter if you're nervous. It doesn't matter if your knees are shaking, right? And so um, it was... 
and part of it is political in the idea of John Mark's identity, and so then for where John Mark was able to go, right? Can and you define that for people who may not know? So political as in, um, and yeah, so, the, so, and then some of it was political as in dangerous, right? So, so um, John Mark's ministry takes, <laughs> I'm going to say this. I mean, because I can name the countries, but that's not really going to help us because they're ancient. So John Mark's ministry, (laughs) thank you. Um, John Mark's ministry is like the difference in in Lower Greenville, where you get like a Trader Joe's and uh, a salad shop and Deep Ellum, right? So Timothy's going to Lower Greenville, and John Mark's going into Deep Ellum. And it's more dangerous, right, in Deep Ellum type places for John Mark. And so sending letters out, sending letters back to get the attention of his mentors, one. So the politics of structure, how do you get your mentors, your leaders' attention? Well, you send them letters. Well, what happens if you can't send them letters? Well, you can get messages to them, right? I'm going to tell Liz to tell Paul something when she sees him the next time she sees him, right? And so, one, there's that, which then we know oftentimes from understanding people, there might possibly been an understanding then of who John Mark was as like John Mark can handle it. It's like Mikey will eat it, you know? Like, And so this tender relationship that then develops from Timothy is not necessarily a pushing aside of John Mark, right? And so because John Mark, it comes from backgrounds that allows him to go into grittier places, he's been denigrated in some way and not supported. It's not politics in that way. It's more so the idea that politics, right, of the context you're in, make it more or less safe to be vulnerable and seek guidance in the ways that at this time the structure allowed. Um, Josh might have a completely, my background's also in sociology. Um, And so knowing that John Mark was never, there is not any evidence that John Mark was like um, reprimanded or banished, right? right? So given that there's no evidence that John Mark did something wrong, And leading with my Christian perspective of, you know, assuming best intent. So what must have been happening if Timothy's understood tenderly and John Mark is sort of like not? Um, and, And so that's how I've put what we do have together in understanding, I don't know, Josh. But I also come from a background where I accidentally get looked over a lot of times, right? So... Right, and I, I think it just one. I mean, we we don't know because of the political implications of not being able to send letters in and out. We don't really know the depth of the relationship that John Mark had with Paul. Um, but it, I, I think it also speaks to just um, calling and how that translates to each and every one of us. Right, like we all have a calling, and so whether we are a John Mark and we are called to go to the gritty places and maybe not have a lot of support because um, part of that calling is you are equipped for it. You can handle it versus maybe a Timothy that needs that extra support from the mentor, right? 
And so as you're calling and, and it, neither one negate the other because every calling is valuable. Um, and so I think it's easy to take a look at Timothy and say, oh, well, he was the beloved child. Well, maybe because of the calling that was placed on Timothy's life, he needed that language. I also want to speak into that moment to say John Mark got what John Mark needed as well. Right. And this is the beginning buddings, what we're seeing in these letters of Paul saying to people, you know, I don't have to be there, one, and you know, I won't always be there, too. Jesus is no longer here with us as right. well. And yet, right, Paul is always reminding us, though we, though Jesus is no longer with us, Jesus is close to us, and we still have this call. So there, there is that perspective as well that I think coming from a background, backgrounds that intersect in ways that could lead to some of the things that we, right, that we um, are curious about with John Mark is the idea of I don't need anything less than the one who gets all the teacher's attention, right? <laughs> However, the way that Jesus has set this up, Christian community, John Mark survived longer than Paul. Somehow didn't get arrested as much. Somehow didn't get surveilled as, right, as much, which then led to him being around longer, which then we know impacted the kingdom of God in some very significant ways. And so I want to speak in that, into the moment of like, yeah, it might have been that Timothy needed more, or it might not have been, right? The less squeaky wheel doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to have a flat, right? Um, which I think is important because sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to put my thing aside because this person needs me more in this moment, right? But God eliminates. And I think we see some of that in the difference between John Mark and Timothy and how they're remembered. Do you have a final thought? Because I jumped in there on that. I got a little triggered by Timothy needing more in John Mark. Well, I, I, I want to clarify, too, that, that it wasn't um, necessarily needing more um, – I look at the course of my career, right? And so in that there have been moments where I needed encouragement more, er, words of affirmation, um, put it in that language. Um, and then there were moments like, so um, early on when I was a, an associate pastor in a rural town at a First Baptist Church and I was green, like I needed, like I needed my Paul, right? Like I needed that encouragement. And then when I had that uh, calling on my heart to go start a church in Deep Ellum, right after coming out of a rural area, um, and I didn't really have that mentor, um, that was a different place. And then when stepping into advocating for LGBTQ youth experiencing homelessness, again, didn't have that encouragement. I had the direct opposite of that, um, <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, but then coming back now to a place of, um, being open to where God is calling in my life, um, you know, need, finding 
needing those words of affirmation again. And so I think that's just the course of life ebbing and flowing. Sometimes you need that words, that, that word of affirmation and that encouragement. And sometimes it's a, I, I got this because I know God called me to do this. And like, I know that I'm not really going to have the support Mm -hmm. and that doesn't negate that God called me to do this thing. And so I, I, I want to, I want to look at John Mark and, uh, Timothy, from what we know as separate of just being in different places with their call in their life. And so that, just to clarify what I I was thinking. I think that's like Paul was younger with John Mark and older with Timothy, right? Right. There's possibly something there too. And I, I think both of those, like the overtime part and this overtime within yourself part, right? Right. Um, I think both of those are important to community mm-hmm. and to why we do things like this and why we have intentioned and committed as a community, as the gathering, as life and debellum, all of those things nested within each other um, to come together, not just in times where we know who we are and we know what we're doing, but in times where we have questions about what should we be doing and who do we need to be right now. Right, And to come to the table and have those discussions, to come and find a way to get the letters out, no matter what, um, whether there's a lot of people present or there's just a few, I think that's one of the lessons of Timothy and Lydia that we learn um, is valuable about Christian community, is this idea of if i got to take the table to the riverside or to the marketplace, we're going to be at it. (laughs) 